Do you remember what life was like before the pandemic? Those were the days, amen? Did we even know or really care what an epidemiologist was or did? We certainly didn't use phrases like social distancing or fully vaccinated. Families and churches didn't divide over things like masks or vaccines. Public restrooms didn't have signs with 10 steps on how to properly wash your hands. Apparently, we've been doing it wrong all these years. So many things have changed. 20 months ago, it would have been difficult to imagine living in the reality that we find ourselves in in these days. Nothing really prepared us for these days. In the days of Israel, 2,700 years ago, approximately, the not-so-famous Amos came from Judah to Israel to prophesy about the coming days of the Lord's judgment on Israel's house. Like us, before the pandemic, Israel was not prepared for what was to come. Israel was enjoying a time of prosperity, of plenty, of rebuilding. And then Amos comes along. Here comes Amos. And he says, soon, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. The Lord will appear and he will come with his recompense. He will demand a reckoning because Israel had abandoned the word of the Lord. She had neglected God's word. So the days of God's judgment were coming like dark storm clouds on the horizon. The Lord is coming to judge. But for Israel, in the meantime, the party continues. Today, we conclude our little trilogy of sermons in the book of Amos. And the last act is filled with visions of, wait for it, judgment. Not a big surprise if you've been listening for the last few weeks. The Lord showed Israel these visions to remind them who they've messed with. The Lord tells us his name again and again. The sovereign Yahweh is his name. His name is repeated 11 times in chapters 7 through 9 of the book of Amos. The Lord is asking Israel and us, do you know who I am? Well, the days are coming when you will know. Oh, you will know. But there's something new in these chapters here at the conclusion of Amos that we haven't seen yet. Something new. At the end of these chilling words of judgment, there's hope. There's finally hope. For the Lord God is not simply a God who comes in judgment to destroy, but he is a God who restores. And he is the Lord of his people. Just as we've been singing about this morning. So my main idea this morning is this. In judgment, the Lord your God has spoken a word of hope. In judgment, the Lord your God has spoken a word of hope. 
ancient promises will rise out of the ashes of God's judgment. And we will realize that maybe we weren't really listening before when the Lord told us his name. Because yes, his name is terrible in judgment, but in Christ, we belong to this name. And he belongs to us. It's in his name and in his word that we find hope for that coming day. I have two points this morning. The day of violence and silence. Point number one, the day of violence and silence. Point number two, the day of the curse reversed. The day of the curse reversed. My first point is almost twice as long as the second. Just fair warning. Number one, the day of violence and silence. Turn with me to Amos chapter 7, verse 10. You will be helped just like last week, just like previous weeks, really just like any week to follow along in your Bibles. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Amos chapter 7, verse 10. You can find that on page 816, 816 of the Black Pew Bibles that we have provided for you. Amos chapter 7, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to King Jeroboam of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you right here in the house of Israel. The land cannot endure all his words. For Amos had said this, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go away, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there. But don't ever prophesy at Bethel again, for it is the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. Amaziah, the priest of Israel, tells Amos the prophet to shut up and go home. Amos is accused of conspiracy. What he's saying is politically incorrect. This isn't the place or time, Amos. Things are good in Israel. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say, all this judgment talk. Things are going really well here. You really are a Debbie Downer, ruining the mood. Nobody wants to listen to an unknown prophet from Judah, of all places, with all this discouraging stuff. Not to mention you don't really have any credentials as a prophet. So quit raining on our parade. Amaziah tells Amos to cut it out. Listen to Amos' response. Verse 14, so Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos says to Amaziah, you think this was my idea? I had a good thing going back in Judah. I was minding my own business. But then the Lord took me and he said, go, go. Amos doesn't pull a Jonah and run away from the Lord. When the Lord speaks, Amos listens and he obeys. And he comes with this message for Israel from the Lord. Look down at verse 16 now. Listen to what Amos says to Amaziah. Now hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, 
This is what the Lord says. Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself will die on pagan soil, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. You know, we don't see here in the text what Amaziah's response was to Amos's word of judgment. We don't know if Amaziah got the message. Eventually, Amaziah got the message. We know that Israel was exiled. And when these judgments fell upon Israel and Amaziah like a guillotine, I wonder, as that was happening, if Amaziah thought back to this conversation with this no-name prophet from Judah. I wonder if he realized that as the judgment was falling, that this was the Lord's sword that was falling on him for rejecting the word of the Lord. I think it's interesting to think about what if Amaziah had listened to Amos' word? What if instead of rejecting God's word, he had listened and repented and obeyed? It's interesting to think about. But the bottom line is, Amaziah didn't care about the sword of the Lord of armies. He was more concerned about the sword of King Jeroboam. Amaziah feared the wrong Lord. He feared the wrong Lord. Unlike Amos, Amos was different. He feared the sword of the Lord. You can read about the fearsome sword of the Lord maybe later this afternoon in the beginning of Amos 9. And Amos feared this sword more than the most powerful man in the nation. Amos was like the first prophet, Moses, who considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Israel, since he was looking ahead to a greater reward. Amos had heard the voice of the Lord, and it was clear that he listened, and he feared that voice that not only shook the earth, but shook the heavens. You know, Amos was aware that even if he faced King Jeroboam's sword, that was nothing compared to the sword of the Lord, to the violence that he would experience if he disobeyed God's word. In this little interaction that we see in the book of Amos, really the only narrative that we have in the whole book, I think it's good to think about, are we more like Amos or Amaziah? Are you more like Amos or Amaziah? Whose word do you fear more, man's or God's? You know, when the Lord's word comes against us like a sword that pierces through our proclivities, our plans, our philosophy, our mottos, our culture's values. When the Lord's sword comes like that, do we seek to evade that sword, blunt it, or even downright reject it? The days are coming when the Lord's word of judgment will fall. His word will come in perfect truth and righteousness, and all will see the perfection that is God's word, the truth that it is. 
And all who evade, neglect, ignore, or reject God's word will have their necks exposed to the eternal judgment of the Lord of armies. God's sword will fall on everyone. The sword of judgment. So I have some advice for us. Let the sword fall today. Let the sword fall today and not on that great day. Allow God's judgment in his word to pierce us today instead of that day. It's not going to be necessarily pleasant. The, the word is called a sword, not because it's like comforting and squishy. It's going to hurt. But today, the Lord's sword is more like a scalpel of a master surgeon. The Lord uses the sword of his word to cut out that cancer, that hard heart that resists his word and replace it with a heart of flesh that is soft and responsive to God's word, that loves his word and wants to obey him and delight in his word. You know, the book of Hebrews says that God's word is living and active and effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. So, Henson, how are you responding to the sword of God's word? Are you mourning the ways that you have neglected his word, that you've rejected his word? Let's turn and let that sword of God's word pierce our hearts today to examine us, to search us and know us just as David prays and see if there be any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. The Lord's sword of judgment is coming. His powerful name is always preceded by his word. The Apostle John pictures the coming of Jesus in the book of Revelation as a sharp sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus as he rides in judgment against the nations and he reveals his name to all, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. So friends, choose the judgment of God's word today instead of the judgment on the coming day. Don't be like Amaziah and tell the Lord that you don't have time for this and to go home. Today is the day to know life by God's word. Well, the coming days will not only be violence like a sword, but when the Lord strikes those who reject his word, there will be silence. There will be days of silence. Let's look ahead to Amos 8, verse 1. Look with me to Amos 8, verse 1. The Lord God showed me this, a basket of summer fruit. He asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. You know, what does a basket of summer fruit have to do with anything? Uh, what does it have to do with the Lord bringing Israel to an end? Uh, this vision utilizes a wordplay in the original Hebrew with like the fruit being ripe and the time is ripe for judgment. Can't see it in the English translations, but it makes sense, right? 
Fruit is ripe. Time is ripe. The time is now. God's patience has run out. It's time for God's judgment. Israel's crimes against humanity and God are summarized in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 8. You can look over those. We've been talking about Israel's crimes a good bit. They're summarized there. Uh, We see that Israel's maybe keeping the letter of the law. They're keeping the Sabbath and the festivals. They're having a good time, but their hearts are not in it. They're thinking about profit over people. They're taking advantage of those who have no recourse to defend themselves. Uh, They're covetous. They're looking forward to church being over so they can get back to what they really care about. Now, Israel's actions that we see here in verses 4 through 6 are rooted in her rejection and dismissal of God's word. Israel's like her priest, Amaziah. They don't have time for this message of judgment. They got better things to do. They're so busy making money. Israel has strayed far from God's word, as we've seen throughout the book of Amos. Her actions show what she's really been listening to. And it's the almighty dollar. The sound of the financial markets. The sound of laughter as they help themselves to another drink with their friends. And then they head out to worship, you know, to make an appearance. Listen to what the Lord says about what will happen to such a people. Look at Amos 8.3. In that day, the temple songs will become wailing. This is the Lord's declaration. Many dead bodies thrown everywhere. Silence. Friends, do you hear the progression in this prophecy? We go from worship songs in the temple to what we thought about last week, wailing at a funeral, and then silence. Now, is the Lord saying silence, like I've had enough of your songs and your wailing, enough already? Maybe. That might be part of it. But I don't think that's what Amos is really getting at. Look with me at 8. 11 and 12, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Look, the days are coming. This is the the declaration of the Lord God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And that day, the beautiful young women, the young men also will faint from thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, or as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. I think Amos 8 is one of the most eerie chapters in the entire Bible. It's chilling. For God speaks of a coming day when he will be silent, when he will cease to speak. We cannot imagine the darkness and the death of a world where the Lord doesn't speak. When the Lord is no longer in relationship with his people, speaking to them, warning them, encouraging them. This is, a, this is the worst kind of famine. Here Israel was prospering. Their crops were going wild. But Amos says, a famine's coming, and you're going to bring it on yourselves. It's a self-inflicted famine for rejecting the word of the Lord, a famine of no longer hearing from him. This 
is a punishment that Israel has brought on herself when she ignored God's word by sinning against her neighbor to get ahead, by replacing God's word with the word of the nations. Israel showed what she really valued, and it wasn't God's word. It was profit. She acted like she cared. You know, she gave, she gave uh, good actions, but the act wasn't convincing anyone, certainly not the Lord. Israel opted to listen to the nations instead of the Lord. So Israel became like the pagan nations, living for parties and prosperity. And in God's justice, God promises to let the sword fall. The justice then of silence. You know, Israel in this way reminds us of God's judgment from long ago. Listen to this to a vision, this vision of judgment, and see if this rings a bell. Look at Amos 8, verses 7 through 10. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget all their deeds. Because of this, won't the land quake and all who dwell in it mourn? All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and then subside like Nile in Egypt. And in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. Remind you of anything? Do you see the allusions to the ten plagues that struck Egypt when the Lord rescued his people out of slavery there? We have the Nile. We have the dark, dark darkness. We have the mourning and grief that comes from the loss of a son. Because Israel stopped listening to God, she will be judged just as the Lord judged Egypt. Israel said in the wilderness that she wanted to go back to, to Egypt. Well, she gets her wish. She staggers back through the wilderness, as we saw in verses 11 through 14. And then she falls just like Egypt under the waves of God's judgment, never to rise again. Israel is washed away, and then all is quiet. We often say here at this church, God is speaking, are you listening? Are you listening to his word? When I'm sitting in the pew, I'm often thinking, I mean, yes, I, I, heard, I heard you, I just heard what you said, and I'm, I'm here. I think often we're listening the same way that we tend to listen to the flight attendant before takeoff. Does their little safety song and dance. You know, we may look up to be polite or act like we're listening. But really, this little presentation has no difference, makes no difference in our lives. The proof that we are listening is not just that we're here, not just that we open the Bible. The proof that we're listening is our lives. The sound waves of God's word can literally go into our eardrums and we can say, yes, I hear you, God. We understand. We can have you know, even theology degrees and read books about scripture. But all the while, it can be true that there is another voice or another word that's really calling the shots. We're living our life we're listening to that voice, that internal voice. 
You know, I think this vision of silence in Amos reminds us that we don't know what we've got often until it's taken away. I mean, I think back to uh, during the time of when the pandemic uh, caused us not to be able to gather in full uh, as a church. I hope the Lord showed you when the Lord took away that gift of being able to gather how precious this time is. You know, we often are reminded how precious a relationship is when someone moves away or even someone dies and we're no longer able to talk to that person face to face anymore. Friend, have you considered the gift that God has given us in his word? The power that his word is to change our lives, to direct our steps, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is chilling to think about if his word were to go silent and our hearts were to become so hard that we would no longer hear his words of warning and his words of love. How good is God's word? How powerful is God's word? Genesis 1, we hear that God created all the beautiful things that we see. And all his very creation was created by his powerful word. Psalm 1, we hear that one, the one who delights in God's word is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. In John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And to all who received this word, to those who believed in his name, they know life and light. Hebrews 1, we hear that God has spoken to us in these days by his son and he upholds the universe all things by his powerful word. In James 1, we hear that God gave us the new birth, that he implanted his word of truth in us. And in Revelation 1, we hear that God gave us, we hear that blessed is the one who hears the word of this prophecy and keeps what is written in it because the time is drawing near. We could keep on going through scripture and see the power and the life that comes from God's word. So don't neglect it. Continue to listen. We're here. So we might as well listen. All life comes from God's word. And when we stop our ears to it, when we cease to obey it, when we take matters into our own hands and live for other things, listen to the words of this culture and our world, we enter a self-inflicted famine. And we're staggering around in the desert with no compass. Or we're like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. You know, maybe you're a non-Christian friend here today, and we're so glad that you're here. And I have a challenge for you. Read this word. You may think that this word has little to offer you. That it's kind of irrelevant to your life. That it's kind of boring or even hard to understand. But have you read it? I can think of about 300 people in this church who would love nothing more than to read this book with you and to talk about it, talk about what it means for our lives. So please talk to us before the day is too late. To my Christian friends, to my brothers and sisters here at Henson, I want to challenge you. Does your life reflect that you're listening to this word? 
You know, what area of your life? We thought about the rooms of your life last week. What room of your life or area of your life could use a good listen up from the Lord? You know, I think sometimes we even sit here in church and we look forward to church being over so we can get back to what we really care about, like Israel did in chapter 8. It is a humbling thing to listen to God's word. We like to be busy. We like to listen to ourselves talk or accomplish things with our own hands. Uh, But listening is hard. Listening is humbling. It acknowledges for a few minutes whenever we listen to God's word that we don't have all the answers. Even us here with masks is is a good symbol of the, the humility when we shut up our mouths and we simply listen to what the Lord has to say. So will you humble yourself and listen to God's word today? Will we stop scrolling and listen? Will we stop thinking of all our plans and listen? It's a message of judgment to all who fail to listen. But today is the day when we can listen and know life through this warning. For the days are coming when all who reject God's word will hear nothing. Just as they have from God all along. We've seen these visions now of the coming day of the Lord as a day of sword and of silence or a day of violence and silence. But God's judgment against his people isn't the last word. In our second and final point, let's consider the day of the curse reversed. The day of the curse reversed. You know, the dark backdrop of God's judgment has been set. I hope you have felt the weight pressing down. Later, I challenge you to even look back through Amos even 7 through 9, maybe this afternoon, and count the five visions of God's judgment. But even in the first two visions, there in chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 7, we have glimmers of hope. Amos intercedes before the Lord, who gives a vision of, of locusts and of fire. And he asks the Lord. Amos asks the Lord. He intercedes before the Lord. He says... Please, please stop. Please don't completely destroy. And the Lord relents. And that prepares us for what we see here in Amos chapter 9. Turn with me to Amos 9, verse 8. Amos 9, 8. Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. You know, same, same story as we've heard, right? But listen to this next line, Amos 9, 8. However... I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. Again, Amos 9.8, the first part, sounds like, you know, same as usual. Then, the word however. However. However reminded me of the but gods, but God from the New Testament, particularly Ephesians 2.4, you were dead in your transgressions, but God, who is rich in mercy... This, however, turns a a ray of hope that we see in Amos 7.1. The light is starting to, to come in the midst of the darkness. We deserve wrath because of God's judgment, because of the way that we have neglected God's word, how we haven't listened. We've listened to his to the lies of the enemy in this world instead of the word of God. But here near the end of Amos, we have an otherworldly hope. 
Turn with me to Amos 9.11. Amos 9.11. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it, rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations that bear my name, this is the declaration of the Lord, he will do this. Imagine arriving on the scene of your home destroyed after a tornado. You walk up to where your house used to be. The walls are all down. The roof is like in somebody else's yard. Your possessions are are scattered and destroyed. And then your friend, maybe who's also a general contractor, comes, puts his hand her hand on your shoulders and says, the foundation still stands. We can rebuild. I think that's the mood of Amos here at the beginning of uh, verse 11 and 12. The storm of God's judgment has destroyed the house of Israel. But God says, God comes along and he says, I will rebuild. I will repair. I will restore David's broken down house. And the amazing thing is, is in just a short few words, we see that it's no longer just Israel's house. Amos foresees a day when ethnicity, national heritage, or what land you live in, or even what language you speak will provide no barriers for dwelling in this new restored and rebuilt house. Edom is the key here to understanding this. Edom was Judah and Israel's arch nemesis. Edom stands as a symbol of uh, ancient enemy of God's people and of God himself. But we see here that Edom and all the nations will bear the name of the Lord. This won't just be Israel's house that bears the name, but all the nations that come into this restored and rebuilt house. Are you starting to see how the Lord's judgment was preparing us for this glorious reversal? You know, the the book of Amos began with the judgment, remember, in chapter 1, on God's judgment on all the nations for their sins against humanity. But now he places his name on those people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So maybe God's roar of judgment isn't the final word. Because here we're seeing that the Lord's declaration, his powerful word, has spoken another word here at the very end. Conclusions are important. And he says the Lord is his name. He has remembered his ancient promises to Abraham and to David. We see the promises of God, the covenants coming together. And he's going to fulfill those promises because of his glorious name. It's the nature of his name and his word to rebuild and restore the very house that he's destroyed and torn down in judgment. Listen to what it will be like. For the people who bear the name of the Lord and hope in his word. Look at Amos 9, verse 13. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land, and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. Amos took 
or the Lord took Amos from breeding sheep and picking sycamore, figs off sycamore trees to speak of a word of judgment to the disobedient house of Israel. Amos declared God's word faithfully. He, he, he meted out the covenant curses from the Lord from Deuteronomy 28 for neglecting God's word. But amazingly, we see here the covenant curses unwinding and exploding in blessing. This final vision of restoration is like Edom to the Davidic and Abrahamic power. It's like the Christmas carol that we sing every Advent season. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. These are the days that Israel had been hoping for. Days of security, rest, and blessing. And there's no question who will accomplish it. It's the Lord who reverses the curse. And when he says he will do it, his word is his bond. Nothing will thwart the declaration of the Lord God, even the sin of his people. Friends, this is how Amos ends. Here it is. That's Amos. It's a little disorienting, though. (laughs) A little disorienting after everything that we have seen so far in the book. Such violence, the silence, the fire, the roar. What happened to all that? Does God just simply change his mind at the end? It's like, ah, shucks, I can't stay mad at you guys. Can we just skip all that judgment stuff? And Because, you know, in the end, it all works out. Let's just turn to the end of Amos and read that. I think the key that unlocks the mystery of how the same God could bring such judgment and restoration and how the day of judgment could be also this day is in the final line of the book of Amos. In Amos 9.15, and really it's one word. Amos 9.15, the Lord your God has spoken. The Lord your God has spoken. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard the Lord speak. This isn't the first time that we have heard his name. But this is the first time in a book where we see the Lord's name again and again and again. Eleven times in these three chapters. This is the first time that he is called the Lord your God. The one who made the Pleiades and the Orion, who turns darkness into dawn, who forms the mountains, creates the wind, who strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord God is your God. Earlier, back in chapter 5, Amos had called the gods of the nations and the idols, like those are your gods. Like, let's be honest, you're worshiping those, literally. They were worshiping those. And he did tell us, prepare to meet your God, Elohim, but not the Lord covenant Yahweh, sovereign Lord, your God. And this God will save his people. He will keep his promises to them through judgment. He will restore them by his mighty word. We know this. We know this. We have sung of this already today. We know he will do this because another prophet who came 700 years later, who came, to the broken down, who came to the broken down house of Israel, just like Amos had 
A voice from heaven told Israel, though, that this wasn't just uh, any uh, just another prophet. How did the father prepare his people to hear from this one? This is one who said when he came, his first words, his first sermon in the book of Mark is the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The father said, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And this son is worthy to listen to. For he was righteous and just. He never neglected the poor, never took advantage of anyone. His life was full of justice and righteousness. He always submitted himself to the word of the Father, and he came to fulfill all that Israel had failed to fulfill herself. And he did this at the cost of his life. The better son and prophet was raised up on the cross, and God's judgment fell. Darkness came at noon, just as Amos foresaw in Amos 8. The son cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the answer from heaven was silence. The silence that you and I should have heard for our neglect of God's word, for the way that we use other people rather than love them. A sword pierced his side. It was as if God's roar and unrelenting fire completely consumed this one. God's just judgment fell on this prophet, priest, and king. Also that people like us, people who can tend to fall asleep or trying to read the word or hear his message of life, also that people who are far removed from the nation of Israel, here we are in Portland, Oregon, also that we could hear this message and hear his name. Not just hear his name, but be called by the name of the sovereign Lord and King. Now, we deserve judgment, but judgment fell on this King, this Lord and God, and the place of all who would put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and their God. Friends, this is the message of hope that we need today and every day as we prepare for that great day. Until that day comes when our faith becomes sight. For the days are coming when we will not only hear his word, but we will see his face. And I think when that day comes, it's hard to imagine what it will be like. But I think it will seem as if these days of pandemic, these days of the silence of loneliness, these days of frustration at work, discouragement in families, these days of death and separation. The day that we see his face and hear his word in full and the kingdom that he has prepared for us, all those days will seem like a distant memory, a time long forgotten. So are you ready for that day? Are you preparing yourself for that day? It is coming. For when Christ came and knew the silence from the Father and the violence of the judgment that we deserved, he brought about a new day. A day when the curse was reversed.
We hear this word of the curse reversed today. We will plan on continuing to proclaim this message every Sunday, every Lord's Day, until he returns. And we await that great day when we know this word in full. We will wait, hoping in this great word, for friends, in the judgment of Christ, the Lord your God has spoken a word of hope in his Son. In the judgment of Christ, the Lord your God has spoken a word of hope in your son. Is this word your hope? Let's pray. Lord, as we have praised you many times before, we praise you again as the God who has spoken to us. You have spoken a better word in the person of your son. And in his blood. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would forgive us for the many ways that we neglect this better word. For lesser words. For the ways that we are like our first parents. And we are more interested in the lies of this world than hearing the truth of your word that cuts like a sword. Oh Lord, we pray that you would have mercy. We pray that you would give us the good gift of ears to hear. And Lord, we thank you uh, that your word will not return void. Lord, that with your word, you accompany your word by your spirit. And we look forward to the resurrection day, Father, when we will see you face to face. We will see the sun. Oh, Lord, and, and all our pains and sufferings and the death and the curse that we have known in this life will be reversed at his coming. Thank you for the down payment that the Son's sacrifice and resurrection is for us today. Uh, And Lord, help us to live with just two days in mind, today and that coming day. Lord, we know that tomorrow will worry about itself. So we thank you. As long as you give us breath, we will thank you and praise you for speaking to us in the person of your Son and giving us hope in his name. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.